Gliding spider-like, rapidly close behind Sharon, her body arched backward in a bow, with her head almost touching her feet, was Reagan, her tongue flicking quickly in and out of her mouth while she hissed sibilantly like a serpent. Sharon stopped, then screamed as she felt Reagan's tongue snaking out at her ankle. That day, everywhere Sharon went, Reagan followed. William Peter Blatty, The Exorcist. Welcome to Books in the Freezer, a podcast focusing on the deliciously disturbing world of horror fiction. I'm one of your hosts, Stephanie. And I'm your other host, Rachel. There is a common saying that everyone has their demons, but is that actually true? Is there a demon lurking within your child, your best friend, or maybe inside yourself? If you worry that you or your loved one might be possessed and in need of an exorcism, keep listening to this instructional episode of Books in the Freezer. So I feel like I say this every episode, but I am legitimately excited to cover this particular topic when it comes to horror. Possession stories are my personal favorite of the subgenre, and I just cannot get enough of them. If I find out a book has a possession angle to it, I need to read it, and chances of me liking it are pretty high just because I love it so much. I don't know for sure. Stephanie, would you say you love them as much as I do? I don't know if I love them quite as much as you do, but there's a lot of things that come with possession stories that I love. I love unreliable narrators and I love you as the reader kind of not sure what's going on. And we can get into like specifically what that means a little later. But yeah, there's definitely elements of possession stories that I love and that I find freaky. That's good. I would be pretty disappointed if you actually like strongly <laughs> disliked the genre. That would be pretty heartbreaking for me if you thought they were dumb or something. Because we've talked about before, like not every genre or subgenre we're going to be talking about in these episodes is necessarily going to be our favorites. You'll find as you hear more of our personal favorites that we do lean towards certain types of horror. And we don't always necessarily agree with each other, but... While I love, love possession stories, I'm glad that it still seems to be one that you enjoy and prefer. So I'm glad we agree on this one for sure. And for this episode, we'll be talking about both possession and exorcism stories. For the most part, the books will contain both elements, but we're going to have some exceptions to the rules. There might be some stories where there is a possession, but not necessarily an exorcism or vice versa. We'll get into that in a little bit. But before we get into our books, I want to give a little bit of background on possession and looking up kind of the background of exorcisms. So the practice of exorcisms can be traced back to the beginnings of the Christian faith. In the New Testament, Jesus told his disciples to cast out demons in his name. And because of that passage in the early church, not just priests, but any Christian could perform exorcisms. And so this practice went from the beginnings of the Christian church up until the 1900s, where for the most part, exorcisms kind of fell out of common practice. However, when a certain book and movie came out in the 1970s, I wonder if anyone can guess what I'm talking about, the number of calls for exorcisms rose quite a bit. And I always find it fascinating when you see 
horror reflecting what's happening in real life. And in this case, it's the opposite where a piece of fiction basically created this panic that possession was more common than people thought, or at least created the awareness. That makes me kind of sad that there was probably people with mental illness that didn't get the right treatment that they should have gotten because of that. It's kind of a troubling statistic. There's a common psychology idea that if something is more top of mind, then people will tend to make that association. So if you see someone acting weird, acting strange, and they had just watched The Exorcist, chances are they're going to go, hmm, well, maybe that person's possessed instead of thinking, well, maybe that person's sick or unwell or suffering from something else. Yeah, and especially since when you read a story and you see kind of the symptoms or signs that someone could be possessed by a demon is that there's a lot of room for interpretation. These are kind of a checklist for things that you'll see recurring throughout these books. People will feel a cold feeling in the room. They have a different personality. They contort their bodies into unnatural postures. There's a change maybe in the sound of their actual speaking voice. They have knowledge of things that you know they shouldn't know about or they're predicting future events. And of course, you're moving on to things like levitation and intense hatred towards all religious objects or items or church and stuff like that. So I think as you're reading these books, those are kind of the signs that you're going to see that someone could possibly be a demon possessed. Reading through the list, I immediately thought, well, I want to know how many signs need to be present before an exorcism would actually happen because I was freaking out and thinking, well, I used to have lack of appetite and I'm always cold. So the first three on the list were all things that I could easily be described as. And I thought that was kind of scary. So looking at the list, I thought, well, there better be some extreme ones happening in order for things to move along. Like I've never levitated objects for the record. I don't speak any foreign languages and, you know, I don't have supernatural strength. So if anything, I think it's kind of scary that some of the first signs are just so subtle. You could actually apply this to a lot of what would be otherwise considered normal behavior. Yeah. And I think I like about these books is that usually there is a scene where before they deem that this person is demon possessed and we can perform an exorcism, there is a vetting period in a lot of these stories that like, no, they could just be mentally ill or they could be schizophrenic or something could be wrong with them. So like in The Exorcist and in the movie as well, you know, Reagan goes to doctors and they go and they try to figure out what is wrong. And a lot of things have to be ruled out for it to be approved for an exorcism. Yeah, I really appreciate those aspects too. And that's something that the Catholic Church does presently say that a case of actual possession is considered to be extremely rare. And they do believe that most cases that are suggested to be possession are actually mental illness. And so in order for someone to get exercised by the Catholic Church, they would have to undergo a psychiatric evaluation by a certified doctor. And I do appreciate that there is that focus or at least that expectation that every other option better be ruled out before you're even talking about this. No, definitely, for sure. Like that's usually a theme in the book that there is this room for interpretation and could this person be mentally ill or are they doing the right thing by choosing to go through with an exorcism is usually like a plot line. (laughs) And I think that's one of my favorite parts of possession stories is that back and forth because something I know we've talked about before is that we both love unreliable narrators 
And I guess when it's told from the perspective of the person who's possessed, which we'll get into, it's wondering, well, are they going crazy or is this possession? And especially from the outside, because if you're getting the story told from a different person's perspective who's watching this person, you can only determine so much about what's going on in someone's mind by looking at their actions. So I really like that interpretation and I love books that make me question. And again, it goes back to why I love possession stories so much. So I guess for you, what are some of the things you like so much about possession stories? So it's not just me gushing for this whole episode. Well, I am also a fan of that ambiguity and that questioning the unreliable narrator aspect. But I always get really creeped out by if you're reading the story and it's like a cut and clear, like this is a possession, how the person got possessed like in the exorcist when reagan is playing with the ouija board and she's talking to captain howdy it creeps me out like i get goosebumps it's like don't do that because i think we talked about it like your mother warned you about ouija boards right like i know i was warned growing up like don't ever play with those I put up a tweet that said, I think every Mexican mom has a, I knew someone who played with a Ouija board once kind of a story. And I got so many comments that were like, actually, yes, this is true. Like, yes, I have a Mexican mom and she had an urban legend, but it was her best friend that she grew up with or something. And my mom's story that she told me was like terrifying. So yeah, to this day, I'm like, no, thanks. I would rather not take my chances with it. (laughs) And I'm the same way. It's something about that whole situation. That's why I like possession so much is because it feels possible to me. I'm not sure even how I feel about all this. I should mention that if I haven't before that I am Catholic. So that's why when we talk about the history, it's very much focused on like a Catholic rite of exorcism. And because of that background, Like these just feel so possible. And I grew up like in a family, like they were told me, you know, ghosts don't exist, monsters aren't real, et cetera, et cetera. But don't you dare play with an Ouija board because you're going to open up your heart to a demon and they're going to get inside. So how can I not find possession stories incredibly scary? (laughs) And I think it's just the fact that I know some of this could be real or I wonder and I don't know how I feel as an adult. I wouldn't rule out that possessions possible if I'm honest because it's so ingrained in me from when I was a little child I remember being a kid and we would have the priest from our church over for supper and I got to meet the priest whose job it was to do exorcisms for the diocese of course I was a kid and I'm kicking myself now I didn't ask him any interesting questions about it like what an opportunity I thought that was your parents pulling like scare tactics Like they were going to casually bring it up like, right, Father Thomas? Like bad girls that play with Ouija boards get possessed by demons, right? I wish. That would have been too funny. But yeah, I have no good stories to tell about this. And as I understand, my diocese still has an active exorcist. That's so crazy. It feels really possible to me. Yeah. I think I've mentioned before, but I am Christian. My denomination of Christianity believe in the demonic possession kind of to a degree or something like near that so I don't know like if you happen to find yourself in that situation what exactly the course of action is or what you're supposed to do but you know I grew up obviously with my mom talking to me about it and with people talking about it being a possibility and like don't watch scary movies don't read horror novels because that opens up a door so it's like I don't know at this point like who's to say 
Yeah, I have a lot of conversations about the difference between supernatural and realistic horror. And I know a lot of people say that they just can't get scared by supernatural horror. Again, the zombie popping out of the closet or the ghost in the house, things like that. If you don't believe that ghosts exist, it's a lot hard to be scared by it. But I personally do know people who like legitimately believes that ghosts exist. And so those stories are a lot more terrifying for them. And possession is one that, as silly as it sounds, I put it on the side of realistic horror, that it feels possible to me. That's, again, like why I just can't stop gushing about this topic. Because we both actually come from that Christian angle with possessions, I'd really love some of our listeners to chime in on Twitter after. And let us know if you are like atheists or maybe just come from a different faith. I'd love to know, do you enjoy exorcism stories or not? Because I think the reason I'm so fascinated is because of that background. And another thing that comes up in possession stories, I would say more so in film that I've seen this, is sexualization of women because it usually is women who get possessed in these stories. And I've noticed this a lot. I'm sure, Rachel, you have too, that it's like women and they get possessed by a demon and they're like writhing around or they're becoming aggressively sexual. And that makes itself known in a few ways. Either they start like seducing the priest or in some cases like masturbating. So a lot of people have written articles that this is like the you know, demonizing female sexuality, that in this case, it is the evil that needs to get cast out. And Head Full of Ghosts, I'm not going to do this as one of my picks because I know I talk about it a lot. So I'm going to get it out of my system because I can't like not talk about it in this topic. (laughs) So in Head Full of Ghosts, there is a section where it's the last final girl and she's writing blog posts kind of from this like snarky feminist angle, kind of like if you listen to Faculty of Horror, like that kind of a voice. And if she's doing recaps on these episodes, she is talking about the like conflicted male gaze of the camera on this girl who is going through this stuff and the way like her body is moving and like where the camera lingers. And I can see that a lot more in film. I haven't found that too much in books that I've read and maybe like I've just been reading good books and I think even in movies and tv shows with that new stuff that's coming out I don't find that that's too much of an issue like in this past season of Stranger Things season two you know there was a young male character who was possessed that's a really good point I think while it's been something that's been part of the possession narrative I do see it phasing out in more recent media of the books we're going to talk about I know the ones I'm talking about are all female possession but I'd say that some of the books have that sexualized angle and we'll get into it a little bit but I feel like the genre is moving away from it and realizing that it needs to do something different and maybe it's done a little bit for shock value because again it's such a Christian focused kind of horror a lot of the horror around those kind of genres get twisted and it's all about perverting what's innocent again almost goes back to when we talked about creepy kids how you take something that should be really pure like little kids or particularly little girls and putting them in like really uncomfortable situations. Yes, because all of my picks are written by men, but I don't think there's any of them that are disrespectful about it. I feel like all of them handled it very well and didn't sexualize any of the possessions that happen. And I'll get into it more when I talk about the specific books. But I feel like, you know, as a genre I think it handled it pretty well. So should we talk about some of our actual book recommendations? 
I mean, I guess we can do that. I really want to talk about <laughs> books. I guess people do too, so we can do that. Okay, so the first book I want to talk about, I don't know if you people will be able to guess what it is. Do you think you know? I have no idea. It is The Exorcist <laughs> by William <laughs> Peter Blatty because we couldn't not talk about it. Yeah, it's like the elephant in the room. Yeah, I know we talked about it a few episodes ago on audiobooks, but I can't not talk about it. So yes, this is the daddy of exorcism and possession stories. And it follows two priests who are trying to exorcise a demon out of 12-year-old Reagan McNeil, the daughter of a famous actress who is filming a movie in Washington, D.C. And I didn't feel like Reagan was sexualized, and that's probably because she was a little kid so that's good don't get me wrong like she does become like aggressively sexual like that's one of the things on the checklist but I don't feel like the way it's written about it, it's in a way that's supposed to titillize the reader in any way it's there for shock value this was based on an actual case of a boy who was exercised in Maryland and the character of Father Marin was based off of a British archaeologist named Gerald Lancaster Harding so there were some truly frightening scenes in this book a lot of them were you know obviously after reagan is possessed and when they have those like black mass scenes i know you talked about that too rachel when you read it yes i <laughs> was really disturbed by those black mass scenes i thought this book was really intense and i did not know what i was getting myself into oh boy so I really didn't expect it to go to the dark places it did. Like I was so uncomfortable with the black mass and the scene with the girl and the crucifix. I'll just leave it there. But yep. <laughs> that turned my stomach. How did you describe? You threw up a little bit in your mouth. Was that how you described it to me? Yeah, I was like, Ugh. yeah, threw up a little bit in my mouth. And then I didn't research this, so don't fact check me. But I have heard that William Peter Blatty, he was a Catholic and that he kind of wrote this with the intent of like scaring people back into church. So, you know, it kind of has like a positive spin that the priests, you know, are selfless and they're there to save this girl and to like help them out. And, you know, it's kind of like this woman, she's gone to science and science can't help her. So, you know, she's turning to religion. And even with that spin, it's a terrifying story. I've had a lot of people that tell me like, you know, when they were younger, they saw this in theaters and they're like, I didn't skip mass for like, you know, a month after watching that. I didn't hear that, but I really believe it. I remember reading it and feeling like this is a book that I want to give to all of my Catholic friends because while it's, you know, this crazy story, I really did feel like it was written through a Catholic lens. And yeah, I was very respectful to the church. I know something that a lot of uh, people come from a religious background are more sensitive to is that while a book might be about Catholicism or Christianity, a lot of fiction for reasons certainly is quite negative and very dismissive of these institutionalized religious groups. But I really didn't think that was the case. And I actually thought that someone with like a Catholic or Christian background would get more out of it because in a lot of ways, yeah, the priests were the heroes of the story. Yeah. And I was really surprised how much they questioned whether or not the exorcism should happen. I assumed that there would be these priests knocking down the door saying, this girl needs to be exorcised. But instead, before the exorcism actually happens, like you mentioned, they spend a lot of time going through every other angle. And it's not just Reagan's mother that's doing this, but the priests themselves are saying, I don't know, I think she's just mentally ill. Let's get her checked out. Like they were really cautious going into it. Yeah, I really liked Father Karras and how real he was and how much he even struggled with his own faith throughout the novel. 
that I thought that was very interesting. And I know we talked about the Exorcist TV show and how they have like that hunky priest. Oh, yes. Let's talk about him some more. If you read The Exorcist, the way that Father Karras is described in like his super muscular arms and like he is described as being pretty hunky. So I feel like that's actually fairly accurate. I'm all there for that. (laughs) And also, I'm putting this book in the freezer. There was a lot of scenes that are truly disturbing. It definitely holds up. It's a classic of horror for a reason. I completely agree with that. And since we've last talked about it, I've finally seen the movie. And while I didn't think it was super scary, the final exorcism scene, I would consider pretty intense. I'm glad I finally saw it. It's one of those movies you just have to see. And I I thought it was great. I like just knowing where all these iconic moments were coming from. And especially when Reagan did the crawl down the stairs. I got so excited because I always see that in other TV shows. They always make fun of it and show it, but I've never actually seen the original scene. And so I stopped the movie and like was yelling to my husband to go check it out. I say it holds up. For sure. My husband came home while I was watching it and he looked at the screen and had this horrified look on his face. Like, what are you watching? What is this? Ah, he judged you a little. Yeah, it's fine. He's not a horror fan. So that's why I have this as my outlet. (laughs) I'm the same way. My husband just ignored me while I was watching it. I was like, do you want to watch it with me? We can make it a date night. And he's like, nope, nope. (laughs) The only scene I got him to watch was her walking down the stairs. That's as far as he was interested in watching. So I guess I should talk about my first pick. And it is one I've mentioned before, but I could not avoid talking about a couple of my favorites and that's something we're really mindful in the podcast of trying to not talk about the same book too often. We have some episodes coming up that will have brand new books that we've never talked about before. Unfortunately, because Possession's one of my favorite topics, I'm always looking for every excuse to recommend these books. So I am sneaking in a couple of books you might have heard about before, but I'm going to talk about them from some different angles. And the first one I want to talk about is The Merciless by Daniel Vega. This is actually a YA book, but while it's intended or written for a young adult audience, I don't want you to assume that it means it's not scary. This book, if you remember, I put in the freezer because I consider it to be ultra-violent with some incredibly gruesome scenes. If you don't remember, this book is about a teenage girl named Sophia who moves to a new Catholic school where she makes friends with a group of popular girls. These girls become preoccupied with another classmate named Brooklyn, who they believe is possessed by a demon. Sophia isn't really convinced that this is happening, but her new friends decide that Brooklyn must be possessed and take it upon themselves to exercise that demon. So one day after school, the girls kidnap Brooklyn, tie her up, and proceed to torture her, calling it an exorcism. Wow. So this I would describe as more of an amateur exorcism. While it's done by Catholic schoolgirls, they're definitely not trained priests. And I would recommend this to people who are maybe tired of the classic priests going in and hearing the proper Catholic rite and are just looking for something a little bit different because none of the traditional rituals happen. There are no Bible verses, no holy water. Instead, the girls kind of make it up as they go. So they duct tape Brooklyn and basically proceed to, as I said, torture her. They cut and slice her open. 
This is just a very dark book. They attempt to drown her in the bathtub, pushing her into the water in order to confess her sins or in the high school version of this, of course, reveal all of her dark and dirty secrets. And so I'm going to say that while this is an exorcism story, it's not necessarily a possession story. This is a little different than the other stories we're going to be recommending because the victim in this case isn't showing any obvious signs of being possessed. The reasons that they think that she might be possessed is that she's a bit of a loner at school. She dresses weird. There are these rumors going around that she's been like chanting things in the back of class. And there is another rumor that people say that she is the reason that one of their teachers fell and injured himself. And as far as the reader is concerned, she seems to just be a misfit who gets tangled up with this crazy clique of girls. I don't want to say too much more than that because it's really a story you got to check out for yourself. So I don't want to get too much further into the plot. But again, if you like the idea of possession or specifically you like an exorcism story, but you want something that isn't traditional, this is a great one to pick up. And again, I think this one is super dark, super intense, and is probably one of my new favorites just of books in general. And I'm not someone who reads a lot of young adult literature. So even if you don't normally read YA, this is definitely still one to pick up. I just couldn't help but recommend it again. So that is The Merciless by Daniel Vega. That sounds super crazy. <laughs> That's one I really want you to read. I know I say this after all of my book recommendations, <laughs> but I really want to get your opinion on it. You can tell I'm trying not to say too much because it's one of those books. There's stuff that happens, but I need you to read it so I can talk about it without spoiling people for the episode. All right, I'll try to get to it. It's such a pretty book. <laughs> yes, it's like this bright pink cover. It's so deceptively cute. Ooh, speaking of pretty or fun books, my next book is... My Best Friend's Exorcism by Grady Hendrix, which I don't think we've talked about on this show. I think we've talked about Horror Store by him, right? Yeah, but never this one. And we both read it. So go ahead. Yeah, tell everyone about it. Yes, this is, I think, my favorite Grady Hendrix book so far. <laughs> so the synopsis is that Abby and Gretchen have been best friends since fifth grade when they bonded over a shared love of E.T., roller skating parties, scratch and sniff stickers and stuff like that. But, you know, when they get to high school, things change and Gretchen starts to act different. And as the strange coincidences and bizarre behavior starts to pile up, Abby realizes there's only one possible explanation. Gretchen, her favorite person in the world, has a demon living inside her. And Abby's not about to let anyone or anything come between her and her best friend. So she embarks on a quest to save Gretchen. But is their friendship powerful enough to defeat the devil? So listen, if you are looking for a delightful book that is about the 80s and demon possession, this is your pick. <laughs> Only you can put delightful in a sentence about female friendship and possession. This story is like, I'm trying not to say fun because I will say fun like 800 times. This book is so fun. Yes, there is a big focus on the friendship between Abby and Gretchen. And if you couldn't tell from all the pop culture references, this is a very 80s book and I don't know about you, but when I read the friendship between Abby and Gretchen, it felt so relatable, you know, how they hung out and like, you know, trivial stuff that you talk about with your best friend that you grew up with and so real. And I just 
loved it. I loved Abby as a character and like everything she goes through with Gretchen. And, you know, with Gretchen, there is that, you know, is this high school girl crazy? Because maybe her friend is just acting distant. Maybe her friend is just sick. You know, you as the reader also don't know you're like, maybe Abby's getting a little too carried away and maybe she's jumping to conclusions. As you're reading it, you kind of also don't know what to think. So there are so many layers to this that I absolutely love. If you don't read a lot of horror, this book is very approachable, I would think, to all readers. And I think Grady Hendrix just writes these beautiful books with just these fun covers and adds just so many layers to the story with the way his books are laid out. And uh, this one is just... So I know I sound crazy if you're saying it's a delightful demon possession story, but it really is. It's such a romp. I am putting this at room temperature, but I think it could be fridge for some people. So that's my temperature rating on this. I know you've read this too, right? I have. And you mentioned how great the cover is, but I don't know if you actually described it. The hardcover looks like a classic high school yearbook, which just is fantastic. It's so nostalgic. And have you seen the paperback release? No. You should look it up after this because they redid the cover and it almost looks like a classic horror VHS tape. <gasps> what? You'll love it. If you haven't seen it yet, I love it even more than the hardcover and the hardcover is fantastic. It's just nostalgic happiness. And it's funny you mention this book because it's a possession story and it is all about 80s references, which is another one of my kind of bookish buzz things. I love nostalgic horror. But this is actually one of the very first horror books I read when I got into the genre as an adult. Mm -hmm. And I remember complaining that it wasn't scary enough. And I know that it reflected in my rating of it at the time. Because I did not understand that me not finding the book personally scary was totally different than me not enjoying the book and liking it. And so since then, I like to think I've become a more savvy horror reader who I can appreciate those room temperature books. So that's one I need to reread. Also, because this book makes so many nods to those classic possession stories, and I feel like Hendrix is really aware of the original material, you know, knowing that his readers, for the most part, have read The Exorcist. But I read this one before reading The Exorcist, which I think is a huge mistake. So for people listening to the episode, I'm going to say start with The Exorcist. It holds up. It's still a good book. Read the source material before you read all these other interpretations because so many of the other books we're going to talk about are going to be constantly making nods and winks to that. And all of those went right over my head. So this is actually one of the books I really need to reread because I liked it, but I don't think I fully appreciated it because I didn't know anything about possession stories when I was reading it. So I'm kicking myself that I started there because the cover was so pretty. <laughs> Yeah, I would say that, but I would say if you have also no interest in reading The Exorcist because that's like too scary. If you're more on the room temperature side of things, The Exorcist might be a little too intense for you. I would say you could read this. Yeah, I guess we yeah. gave you the primer in the earlier discussion. So as long as you know a little bit about the ins and outs of what a possession story typically looks like, you'll be fine. I went in blind and I had no idea what someone looked like when they were possessed, quote unquote, in a book. So... I didn't know what I was reading and I would have gotten so much more out of it if I had known a thing about these stories beforehand. Because I think something Grady Hendrix is really good at doing is writing very self-aware horror. That he's very yes. much aware of all the stories that have come before. 
You can appreciate it regardless of the other stories you've read, but there's a lot of Easter eggs he puts into his story that I think for buffs who have maybe read a little more or watched a little more will definitely kind of get more out of the story. That's probably more what I want to say. Yeah, definitely. He's a very self-aware author. I mean, he this last year won a Bram Stoker for Paperbacks from Hell, which is a book about, you know, the mass market, like pulpy horror paperbacks from like the 70s and 80s, which I still haven't read yet. I'm sorry, guys. I will get to it. But yeah, so he comes from a place of just having a lot of knowledge. And you can tell that when you read one of his stories. Like this is someone who knows the genre in and out. And the friendship between Abby and Gretchen is everything it's so great it's just a really good female-centric story and obviously it doesn't suffer from like the gross sexualization because you're coming at it from a female protagonist perspective of her best friend that one's so good yeah it's delightful that's my word for it (laughs) (laughs) so my next pick is come closer by sarah grand this was one of my favorite books i read last year even though it's quite a few years old This, if you don't remember, is a story about a woman named Amanda who has a pretty good normal life until one day when she starts to notice some strange things going on. At first, it's just little things like tapping noises and little accidents, but things become worse when she starts to black out and actually have terrible urges to harm other people. By accident, one day she ends up ordering a book online all about the signs of being possessed. And from there, she starts to wonder whether or not she is going crazy or actually possessed by a demon. So this is one of the only possession stories I've ever read that is told from the perspective of the person who may or may not be possessed. And I like that unreliable narrator like I talked about before. The fact is that she cannot tell if she's crazy. I'm someone maybe who worries myself and thinks, well, am I crazy? Is this normal? I'm one of those very self-aware people who probably gets in my own head too much. So I identified a lot with Amanda. Going back to the beginning when we talked about our signs of possession, the fact is those first couple signs are pretty small. Yeah. And so at first she just hears like tapping noises in her apartment, kind of like scratching a little bit in her arms and these tiny things are happening, but they're always small enough you can explain them away. And for me, that's almost the scariest part of this book is how normal it is. Because you could read this book and think, oh my gosh, this girl's possessed. Or you could read this book and say, okay, maybe she's a little unwell. Maybe she's stressed at work. Something's going on. It's not quite right. And I like the fact that it got me questioning and I just wasn't sure quite what was going on. I like that the author was able to write such an intimate first person perspective and just create that uncertainty. This book, as I mentioned, deals with a lot of the psychological aspects surrounding possession. And unlike some of the other books we're going to discuss, this one is not so much focused about the exorcism ritual, but more so just about the question of, are you in control of your actions? Are you in control of your mind? And so this is a good one for people who maybe aren't looking for those religious aspects, who would prefer a book with less of a Catholic undertone to it. And I found this one quite scary. I put it in the fridge. It's a book that if it's going to be scary for you, it's because it gets in your head. If you're again a fan of that like psychological creepiness where you're just uncertain what's happening and just feel really on edge, that book did that for me. So I just cannot recommend enough. I've been trying to get everyone I know to read it. So another one that I highly, highly recommend is Come Closer by Sarah Gran. My next pick is The Last Days of Jack Sparks by Jason Arnop and In this story, 
you are reading Jack Sparks' last manuscript, you know when you're reading this that Jack Sparks has already died while he was researching his book on the occult. And so for background, the fictional character of Jack Sparks is an online sensation from the UK. He's known for his snark and dedication to the subjects he writes about. He even went as far as developing a drug problem while researching a drug book and, you know, ended up in rehab. He has this online persona that he's just kind of a douchebag. There's just no other way to put it. (laughs) Yeah, there's no way to put it lately. He's just like a total tool. While he's researching this book on the occult, Jack Sparks, you know, is allowed to go to the Vatican and witness an exorcism. In, in Italy, in the Vatican. And he laughs during the exorcism because he thinks it's all staged. You know, he's a cynic. And while he laughs, that act in itself garners him some unwanted attention. So imagine like, you know, a little girl getting exercised, him laughing and like her head snapping at him, like snap her neck snapping and just like staring at him. Oh my gosh, this book sounds amazing already. <laughs> But he like brushes it off and like tweets about it. And he's like, this possession is lame as hell. (laughs) That's not what he tweets. But he tweets that, you know, the possession is like stupid and like so fake. And he just likes to stir up controversy. He's just basically a troll. You know, things start to change for him after that. Someone hacks into his YouTube channel and uploads just a 40 second chilling video that no one can explain how it got there. And then it just disappears. And so, like I've mentioned, you are reading this story and, you know, as the book is getting closer, you know he's going to die. And because it's his manuscript, there's like notes to the editor where he'll be like, you know, hey, editor, you know, be sure to add this and this and cut this. And there's also other chapters where there's input from other people that explain like their side of the story. But then there's a bit of an unreliable narrator thing going on as Jack kind of starts to get paranoid and Even when people have their own chapters, you don't know if they're just trying to make up for the way that Jack portrayed them or if they're, you know, just covering for themselves and trying to make themselves look good. So there's just a lot of layers to this. And it reads like a found footage horror movie. That's really how I can put it. It's like you are reading a found footage horror movie where you know the person writing this is going to die. Oh, my gosh. It was is so much fun. I, I can't say fun and I can't say delightful because <laughs> I feel like I use those two words way too much for my best friend's exorcism. But this book was very readable. There's social media posts that he does. Jack Sparks is a total tool, but he has this really fun, snarky voice. You know, he's very arrogant and full of himself. So there is like that kind of humor in the story, but there are some freaky scenes. I was reading it at night at work. I had the ebook and I was reading it and I would get a little freaked out by myself. Like I mentioned, Jack's a terrible person. He's a complete narcissist. But as the story goes on, you start to get that there's more complexity to him and he starts to differentiate between, you know, himself and his online persona. And it just, it's very intriguing. I thought it was very well done and I want to read more from Jason Arnott. So I thought that was just a great addition to modern horror that I think more people need to read. I don't hear too much about it. So that one I'm putting as fridge because there was some really creepy scenes, but loved it. Super readable. That's good to know that it actually has some scariness to it because I've always heard described as really funny. But at the same time, I've heard people say, well, that one's also scary. I'm like, well, which one is it? So it actually is both, right? So it's funny, but has some moments. That one has been on my list of things to read for so long, like since it first came out. So I'm kind of jealous that you actually got to it before I did. I don't know what I'm waiting for. It was a Kindle Daily deal, I think. So I hopped on it. I was like, I think Rachel's talked about this book. I should read it. (laughs) 
Smart. Oh, I definitely need to read it for myself. It's one I recommend, even though I haven't read. I keep talking about it with people. And so people pick it up because I mention it. But I'm like, I haven't read it myself. I should probably get to that before I keep talking about it with other people. But I'm glad I can now can say, well, Stephanie liked it. So at least I have someone's recommendation to I'm putting my stamp of approval. So my last pick is Soros Point by Daniel DeVore. This is a story that follows an ex-priest named Jimmy Holiday, who is contacted by an old friend, Will, who believes that his six-year-old daughter is possibly possessed. Will's family lives in an old mansion called Blackmore in the small town of Soros Point, and Will believes that the home itself is haunted and possibly the cause for his daughter's illness. Jimmy has no experience with exorcisms, but he still agrees to help his friend and enlists the help of his ex-girlfriend who happens to be a witch in order to determine if the girl is simply sick or if she is actually possessed by the presence in the home. So this does have a haunted house angle, but while the home is believed to be possessed, it's also very specific that the girl herself is also believed to be possessed by whatever is going on within that home. And the girl is legitimately creepy. We talked about creepy children recently, and this is another book I could have put into that episode because she is the scariest six-year-old I have read about in quite a while. We talked about dark, soulless eyes, and she had the creepiest description. Her eyes were just black, and she had broken teeth, and just terrifying the way they describe her. And compared to other books we're talking about, there was little question for the reader whether or not Lucy, the young girl, was actually possessed. From very early on, the signs of possession were just too obvious. She was doing a lot of supernatural things that you just know a six-year-old couldn't do, things like moving objects around. So this one spends less time on the, is it mental illness, is it something else, and really does go straight to the fact that she must be possessed. You really just have to spend your disbelief that clearly this is happening. Compared to some of the other books, this one does have some sexually explicit content, like we mentioned, which tends to be tied into the genre. Again, it's not meant to entice the reader in any way, but it is very much part of the story. So if you're uncomfortable with that aspect, this one might be one to steer clear of. But I am at the point that I will just read anything that is labeled as a possession story, and I did enjoy this one. I mentioned that the ex-priest is working with his ex-girlfriend, who is a witch, but she's not a witch in the traditional sense. She doesn't have a pointy hat. She's not like Sabrina the witch. Instead, it's more a woman who believes in a pagan goddess. And while the story is told primarily from the perspective of the ex-priest, he has some Catholic background, which is brought into the story, but the Catholic Church is actually not very interested in exercising this young girl. They clearly state, no, she must just be mentally ill. We don't really do exorcisms anymore. And so more of the exorcism that happens in the story is more focused on non-Christian pagan beliefs. And this is one I would recommend particularly to atheists or people who are just looking for an exorcism rite that isn't strictly Catholic. So I think this is a good one to try out if you're just not a fan of those Catholic-centered stories. Given the fact that witchcraft is part of the story, there's a bit of a supernatural element that's brought in. There are some magical rituals that take place in order to attempt to exorcise that demon. And it's just again like a really different story it almost feels a little bit like an urban fantasy but it is quite dark at the same time i didn't feel it was as good as the masterpiece classics for me i love 
The Exorcist. But I think for people like me who are just looking to read every other possession stories out there, this is a legitimately good one to pick up. I put in the fridge because I thought the girl was very creepy. There are some really dark and disturbing scenes. So I'd at least put in the fridge. It was definitely unnerving at times the way it was described. And again, that is Soros Point by Daniel DeVore. It's very interesting. And I just realized I do have a male possession story. Oh. So that is actually a graphic novel. And that is Outcast Volume 1 by Robert Kirkman. You may know him a little from his very successful other graphic novel series, The Walking Dead. Yes. Well, I know you just started reading those, right? I am obsessed. We will talk more about it in a future episode. <laughs> okay. I didn't realize he was the one who wrote this one. Yes. So now I'm very interested. So it's about a guy named Kyle who was possessed by a demon when he was younger. So when you're reading the story, he's living with the consequences of that afterwards in this story he's like walking about and he runs into the priest that you know exercised the demon out of him and the priest is like hey you know i kind of have to deal with someone who was in a similar situation to you why don't you uh, come along and let's see what we can do and he discovers while he does that that there may be more to what happened to him as a child than meets the eye and that his experience may have left him with certain powers to help people that were in his situation. So this is very much an introduction to a series. They don't get super deep. There's a lot of stuff that's hinted at. You know, you find out that Kyle had a wife and a daughter and they're separated and something happened. You don't really know what that is. You know, he meets with his sister and there's tension there and there's something in the sister's past. But I love that this is dealing with a boy being possessed. And I would say the majority of the people that are experiencing possessions in this story are males. And it was very different. And I like when stories take a genre or a subject like that and do something that deals with the aftermath. It's also what I liked about Keelan Patrick Burke's Kin that, you know, it's kind of like dealing with the aftermath of, you know, what would have happened in a slasher movie. Yes, I know what you mean. It's like, well, what happens after the story normally ends or the movie finishes? Yeah, so it's like, how are these people going to deal with all the trauma that they've been through? So I really like that this story is dealing with that. These, if you're interested, I don't know, do you guys have Hoopla in Canada? We do. I have it. So I think I have this one available. It's on my little wish list since I first heard you talk about it. Yeah, I believe the whole series is available on Hoopla. And for those of you who don't know, if you have a library card, a lot of libraries have Hoopla where you can put your library card in and you should have access to audiobooks and ebooks and graphic novels through like a Kindle or an iPad. So I got the first one from the library, but I was too impatient to move on to the second one. So I've been reading it on my Kindle and loving it. So the rating for this one is a pretty room temperature. Like I said, this book was an introduction. Like a lot of stuff got introduced. There was really great art, though, and it was very cinematic. I think I love that about graphic novels is that they can be more cinematic. You know, they can have a panel where it's just a close up of a character's face while he says a dramatic line and it just works. It just really has good storytelling. And I really love the dialogue, which is usually my issue with graphic novels. But I just really love this dialogue. It flows really well. And for this situation, it seems pretty natural. So I would definitely recommend this. And that was Outcast Volume 1 by Robert Kirkman. I will add the artist when I do the show notes. Unfortunately, I don't have it on me right now. We'll forgive you. Sorry. (laughs) I definitely want to check it out. But right now I'm using all of my Hoopla 
borrowing credits to get volumes of The Walking Dead, so I don't know what I'm going to do. I get 10 checkouts a month. I'll have to make some tough decisions in the next month. (laughs) Well, finally, should we talk about some more creepy things we're loving at the moment? Let's do it. I'm so excited to talk about this one. I think you've watched it. This is the movie called What We Do in the Shadows. And you've seen it, right? Yes, I put like one of my faves in all caps right next to it. I'm like, yes, yes, yes. I just watched it and I loved it so much. So I kind of feel bad I'm stealing one of your favorites. But I hadn't heard of it until one of my coworkers found out about the podcast. And he's like, well, clearly you've watched this movie, right? And I'm like, no, what? And then I immediately had to. So for those of you who aren't familiar with What We Do in the Shadows, this is a movie that's available on Netflix, at least in the U.S. and Canada. It came out in 2014. It's a horror comedy set in New Zealand. It's filmed as a bit of a mockumentary. You can't see my imaginary air quotes right now. But this movie follows a group of vampires living as roommates together. One of the vampires is done by Jermaine Clement who was a pretty famous comedic actor out of New Zealand, who has done like numerous films like Moana and TV shows, most popular known for Flight of the Concords. And you've probably seen him in something. He's just so funny. I will watch him do anything. And basically this whole movie is about the mundane details of daily life as a vampire living with some roommates. And it's just so funny. I laughed my head off watching this. The movie starts out with all of the vampires getting together to discuss that some of the vampires aren't pulling their weight when it comes to doing chores around the house. (laughs) And it's just full of those kind of details, those conversations that normal roommates would have, except they're vampires. So there's always a vampire twist on everything. It's a movie I'm definitely glad I watched after I'd read some vampire lore. It was great that we had done our episode on vampires, so I was a lot more familiar with some of the classic tropes that go around vampires, some of the things in there. I know I understood a lot more nods and winks that would have gone over my head otherwise, but they're just funny. Like One of the vampires has this human familiar who basically just works like a personal assistant. You know, she does their bloody laundry, she arranges for orgies with their future victims, and she also happens to do their yard work, because that's what you do. And I just could not stop laughing at this movie. It's very room temperature. If you're looking for a scary vampire movie, look elsewhere. It's not meant to be scary at all. There are some bloody scenes, but they're just done for laughs. There's a little bit of gore when they're biting into their victims but it's probably one of the funniest vampire or even just horror movies I've seen in general. I definitely would recommend it, even if you're a bit of a quote-unquote scaredy cat or not a big fan of horror movies, this is just one to check out. I want to get my husband to watch it because I know he'll find it hilarious, and I've mentioned that he does not watch horror movies, so I pretty much recommend that one to everyone. Yes, I'm trying to get my husband to watch it too. I'm like, it's kind of like The Office, but like a vampire New Zealand office. (laughs) And I should mention, because it's done as this like 
fake documentary. They of course have those classic scenes where they pull one of the characters aside and interviews them and they explain their perspective on what just happened or what they're planning on doing. So this like reality TV show of, you know, just this group of roommates, but again, they just happen to be vampires. I think it's hilarious. I definitely recommend it. And like everything is building up to them going to like that annual like vampire dance, like vampire prom. Yes. (laughs) Oh, it's so good. Oh, man. So my pick for a creepy thing that I enjoyed was a movie that I wasn't sure how to feel about for a while after I watched it. And that was this year's Annihilation. And I was really lucky because with my son, I don't get to go to the movies too often. It's just not something that I can arrange to happen often with my schedule. So when I came back from my trip to Mexico, I logged onto my Netflix account and I don't know if you knew this, but it only got a theatrical release in the U.S. and Canada, and it globally got released to Netflix like everywhere else. What? Yeah. Why do we live where we live? I was confused how you watched it on Netflix when I saw that. (laughs) When I logged on to Netflix while I was in Mexico, I was on the Mexican Netflix database. And that movie was available to download. And also, guys, Mexico has all of Fresh Prince of Bel-Air on Netflix, which I'm not saying I'm jealous, but I'm like I'm actually just really jealous that they have all of the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air and it's fine. I'm not salty about that at all. Kanda has it too. What? <laughs> I can watch it anytime I want. <laughs> You're just going to like play the theme song at me and be like, guess what I'm watching? Oh, I'll taunt you. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, that's not fair. <laughs> but anyway, now I Sorry, sorry, sorry. I'm getting <laughs> sidetracked. So anyway, yeah, I watched it on the plane, which is probably not how it was meant to be watched. So if you don't know, this is based off of the book Annihilation by Jeff Vandermeer, which is part of the Southern Reach trilogy, which I think now is kind of being marketed as like the Area X trilogy. But there were definitely some changes from the book. The area surrounding it is called like the Shimmer. So there was stuff that I really liked about it. I thought the movie had the same dreamlike feel and quality while you're watching it. Some people complained that there wasn't a lot of character development, but we actually learn a lot more in the movie than you do in the book. In the book, everything is vague. No one is referred to by name. They are just the psychologist, the biologist, like the surveyor. The narrator is the biologist, and I don't think you even learn her name in the book. So I would say you get a little more character development in the movie. There's a lot more stuff that's filled in about Natalie Portman's character. There were some creepy scenes, and I think people that have seen it have talked about, you know, there's a bear scene, and that bear scene was so scary. (laughs) Oh, man, it freaked me out. And the actress that plays Jane the Virgin was in it, and she did a fantastic job. Gina Rodriguez, I think her name is. It was just really great, like a really good kind of survival horror movie, but also not... It's a movie I almost like don't know how to talk about and don't know how to explain, but I really enjoyed it. The director interpreted themes of the book and kind of went a different direction with them, but in a way that I'm okay with. I'm okay with people straying from the source material as long as, you know, they grasp the themes of the book, even if they interpret them a little differently. I think it's a movie that when you finish it, you're going to want to watch it again to kind of see if you can get a little more out of it because it's one of those movies that is very subtle and there's also stuff that you're going to want to watch again to see if you can understand a little more the second time around. So I really enjoyed it. That was Annihilation and that came out this year. So yeah, can't wait till it gets released on Netflix here (laughs) so I can do another watch through of it. 
That's one I still need to watch. I'm bad. I'm considering doing the terrible reader thing and watching the movie before I get to the book because I've heard some good buzz. I'm almost happy to hear that they're different because then I hope I can watch this and still read the book and kind of enjoy them both and kind of treat them as separate and, you know, indifferent rather than comparing them too much, hopefully. Mm -hmm. But it's definitely one I want to check out. Yeah, I'm interested to see what you would think about it. Yeah, I'm not sure if it's going to be my style or not, but I love sci-fi, so... It definitely has that. (laughs) Of course, no one says anything about it. It's all so mysterious that, you know, you can't really get a straight synopsis out of anyone on purpose. Yeah, it's just like, women go in to explore, like, an area. Yeah, it's hard. No one can really talk about it. It's like the Fight Club. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Fight Club all over again. Books in the Freezer is a bi-weekly podcast. We post episodes every other Tuesday. You can find us on Twitter at Books Freezer Pod or on Instagram at Books in the Freezer, or you can email us at Books in the Freezer at gmail.com. Our show notes for this episode and all previous episodes will be at Books in the Freezer.wordpress.com. We are also on Patreon. If you would love to support us there, we would really appreciate it. And a special thank you to our patrons, Laura, Liz, Devin, Sarai, Roger, Emily, Alicia, Elizabeth, and PT. I'm Stephanie. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Lady underscore Ganya or on YouTube at That's What She Read. And I'm Rachel. You can find me on Twitter at Shades underscore Orange or on YouTube and Instagram at The Shades of Orange. Join us next time for Books in the Freezer.